May I have my first slide, please? Don't worry, this is it. I only have one slide. This is less a book report than an experience report because Bea and I used Timothy Miller's workbook that goes along with this book to conduct a springboard. And when I think back to my childhood, which must have been in the Jurassic period, I think, I remember asking my father to buy me something, and he said no. And I summed up all my intelligence, and I thought I had a great argument why he should do that. And I said, but I want it. Uh, that didn't convince him. So as I grew up and had more disposable income, I became the guardian of the purse strings, which were kind of loose by then. And I started getting stuff that I wanted. I thought it would be great to play like Eric Clapton, and I thought the way to do that would be to buy a few guitars. So I think I had seven at my peak, and I couldn't play. <laughs> I went to one audition with a teacher, and he said, your fingers are not touching the strings. You're not making any sound. <laughs> I went to another audition, and the, uh, this was a classical musician at Duke, and he said, you're playing a string of notes, but you're not making music. <laughs> so what could I play? Well, I found I had a great talent for playing the stereo. <laughs> so, so I started getting what I wanted in stereo equipment, and you wouldn't believe the stuff that came and went. And I think at my peak, yeah, my wife is nodding, yes, I had seven floor-standing sets of speakers, and I went through all kinds of, of electric equipment. I also collected music. I think I have over uh, 1,100 CDs that my wife is also shocked at. <clears throat> the, next, the next big category in my life was personal computers. I think I bought a computer with every processor Intel ever introduced. And what would happen is I would have one that I was satisfied with, and then at work I'd get a faster one, and that made mine seem slow, so of course I had to buy another one. So on and on it went. But this wasn't like a happy-go-lucky, spendthrift experience. It was, it was painful. I mean, I would... Uh, read reviews, talk to friends, shop, agonize over what to get, try to find a good price where I didn't get ripped off, which happened a few times. So it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant going after this stuff. And the irony of this, I think I summed up very pithily once when I was talking to a friend of mine who was also into stereo equipment, and we were thinking about all these great things we wanted. And the, the point came up, well, how can we get over wanting them so bad? And he was sitting at his desk drinking a Coca-Cola from a can. And I said, I find the way to stop wanting something is to buy it. <laughs> and he just exploded. Coke came out his nose. And... So we all have wanting minds, maybe not as uh, nerdy as mine. But, I mean, uh, who doesn't want more stuff? I mean... If you're not into guitars and stereos, maybe you, I found out with my relationship with women that you can never have too many shoes, for example. How about a, a nicer car, a bigger car, a smaller car, a different shape, physique, six-pack abs, Barbie shape, whatever. How about a new kitchen or a new house or moving somewhere, disregarding the truth that wherever you go, there you are. 
But I found out that this book went beyond that. It was beyond bringing things in. It was also <clears throat> the problem of not wanting what you do have. Here's some examples of what a lot of us have that we don't want. Annoying friends, difficult family members, co-workers who annoy us, other drivers on the road in our way, loved ones and ourselves who have health problems, sometimes ending, ending catastrophically. And all our physical stuff requires all this maintenance and repair. So we've got all these things in what we have that make us not want them so much. So how do we get to wanting what we have in both senses? Miller, the author of this book, advises using three fundamental principles that are central to the core of Wellspring's, Wellspring's spirituality. The first one is thinking of other people with compassion. The second is paying attention to the present moment. And the third is cultivating gratitude for the good things in our lives. So if you're absorbed in the present, you're grateful what you have, and you think of other people with compassion, your wanting mind can be, can be toned down, taken down a notch. Miller stresses that this doesn't mean abandoning ambition or the desire to improve your life, but it's, as a Buddhist might say, getting relief from some of the suffering that goes along with it. All right, so that sounds good so far, right? But now the $64,000 question is, how do we live our lives with compassion, attention, and gratitude? First, the bad news. It doesn't just happen. If it did, I could just say to you, having heard what I said today, go forth with the compassion, attention, and gratitude and live all your days in happiness. <laughs> the good news, Miller says, is that you can use cognitive psychology to do this. And it's no coincidence that Miller is a cognitive psychologist. <laughs> People who have problems with negative thoughts can be taught to challenge those thoughts, see that they're not true, and come up with another habit of thought to replace it with. So instead of saying, I'm stupid all the time, you can say, well, wait a minute, I did all right on that test and I got a promotion so maybe I'm not a genius, but I'm not stupid. And he moves cognitive therapy from the realm of the therapy to wanting what you have. So what you do, Miller says, is when you recognize an uncompassionate or an ungrateful habit of thought, you dispute it and you try to adapt a, a more positive habit of thought. I'm going to give you an example from the workbook dealing with compassion, but bear with me for a moment as I explain what Miller means by compassion. It might not be what you expect. It's a narrow definition. It's an internal state and a habit of thought, not an outward expression of compassion, although it certainly can lead to this. All right, here's the most boring part. Please bear with me. Miller says, compassion as I want to teach it is a pattern of thinking habits. It generates internal private experiences that can be called compassionate. Compassion most consistently benefits the individual who practices it. Hatred, resentment, condemnation, anger, and other such emotions, which tend to interfere with good judgment and smart problem solving, become less frequent and intense when you practice compassion. If you often hate, condemn, resent, and so on, 
you inevitably diminish the quality of life, not only for yourself, but for the people around you, the people you love. You're unpleasant to be around if you're constantly wrathful about idiot motorists, the criminals at the IRS, the moronic coach of your favorite team, and so on. So that's his definition of compassion. It's an internal state. Here's the story from the workbook. Imagine a poverty-stricken 14-year-old boy who lives in the housing project around the corner from your house who comes over and threatens to beat up your 13-year-old child and then spray paints gang graffiti all over your fence. I think that would make all of us mad. Uh, And that anger is natural and it arises spontaneously. So what do you do with that? He gives some examples of thoughts you might have, how you might dispute them, and an alternate thought that you could replace it with. So I'll use my voice to show what's what here. I'd like to kick his delinquent butt until he begged for mercy. (laughs) That probably wouldn't do any good. I might get arrested. I probably wouldn't do it anyway. So what's an alternate thought? I need to think of some way to prevent these problems in the future. He has no right to do that. Who does he think he is? Why do I waste my time thinking like this? He is who he is. Rights have very little to do with it. And an alternate thought, my anger should stimulate me to take some steps to solve the problem. He belongs behind bars. I'm not sure that would make the neighborhood any safer in the long run, and it might not be fair punishment either. Alternate thought, I'll figure out a way to confront him with the harm he's done. If there's no way to do that directly, I'll consider other actions. He's just another worthless punk. He's a child, here's the dispute, he's a child who lives in poverty. He may not be supervised properly. There may be a lot of trouble in his family. So the alternate thought, he's a human being who's made me very angry. That's all I really know about him. If I want to, I can probably learn more about him. So that's, his, that's the way to take your anger and move it into something more constructive. And these suggested compassionate thoughts are not disempowering or naive. They recognize normal, spontaneous feelings of anger, but try to redirect them into habits of thought that are more constructive. From this example, it's starkly obvious that wanting what you have is a journey. You never get there. You have to keep trying. Of course, none of us has gotten there, although I can say that I've somewhat moderated my gear buying, and having a wife is also a big help in that department. There are more times now, after going through this springboard, when I stop and pay attention, and I appreciate what I have, and try to be more grateful for it. Sometimes I have small epiphanies. I'll be in the grocery store juggling with my cart against everybody else, and I'll be judging people. Oh, I don't like that person. I probably wouldn't like that person. Maybe that person's better. And I just stop, and I say to myself, we're all basically the same at the core. We all want the same things. And I stimulate my compassion not by opposing bad thoughts, but by doing a sort of uh, loving kindness wish. I hope that uh, I wish everyone well. I hope that they experience happiness and that they live with ease. 
then I feel an interior warmth that wasn't there before. No one rushes over to me and says, oh, what a compassionate guy. But my habits of thought have changed, and I feel much better. I'm grateful for your attention. Uh, May you all live with ease. And now, since every path must have a heart, I introduce my co-leader with a big heart, B. Young. Wanting what you have. So I'm talking to Will about my life one day, and I'm saying, you know, this isn't what I expected. It's not what I saw for myself. I have a lot to offer, but I'm feeling disconnected. And it reminds me of running into a dog whisperer in my neighborhood. And he pointed to my dog and he said, she thinks she's in charge. And I think there's a cosmic finger pointing at me and saying, she thinks she's in charge. (laughs) Basically, um, I was having a pity party and I was dissatisfied. And so I shared that with Will. And um, prior to talking with Will about this, I'd been seeking a community that would help me um, feel better about myself. And I found this community, and I felt all this support, but I was still feeling a little bereft. And sharing with Will, he said, um, I have a book I can loan you. So mark my words, if you ever talk to a Unitarian Universalist, about anything, they're going to give you a book. (laughs) Wanting what you have was the book. (laughs) Thanks, Will. So I started reading this book, and in the process, I sensed myself doing this U-turn, and um, I began to recognize things that I felt I must do, which I had originally thought would be things I would do when I would retire. Um, And I know that lesson well, but I needed to learn it again. You can't wait for the perfect day. You can't wait till the kids graduate. Um, There's never going to be that time. The time is now. So I began a couple years ago by collecting food at my school. I started a food bank, and we put out a notice to all the teachers and the kids, and we started getting tons of food. And we were taking food to Kennett Square, to the Lord's Pantry in Downingtown, and we took some to the Coatesville Food Exchange. We were getting a lot of food, actually. And I was cleaning my closet in conjunction with changing my life. And I found some coats, and I said to the gentleman at the Coatesville Food Bank, could you use some coats? And he says to me, absolutely. We put out a rack every year, and we could use coats. So um, I took my coats in and thought, hmm, there are a lot of people here that might be cleaning their closets. And we sent out a notice to the school. And then I contacted Wellsprings, and we began to collect coats. Now, let me just say parenthetically that I could have done that much better, and I learned from that because um, Jill Kiley kindly offered to help me. But what I lacked by doing it that way was this wonderful support that I could have gotten here through through a committee, and instead I just kind of ramrodded it through, and I missed out on the, um, the fun of a committee. And I learned from that. I learned that it could have been so much more, 
And it was a wonderful experience, but I want to do it differently next time. You'll hear how in the future. (laughs) At any rate, um, the coats began to arrive, and at the same time, my niece sent me an email about St. Jude's Children's Ranch collecting used greeting cards that they recycle and sell in order to pay for therapies for children who have been abused uh, to restore them. So I thought, I have a whole school full of people sending greeting cards. And through the PTO at school, we initiated a card drive, and we collected tons of cards. We made it a competition. The classroom with the most cards got a pizza party. I don't know what we would do without pizza <laughs> because it's such a strong motivator. It's, it certainly motivates me. So um, uh, surprisingly, we had three top classrooms that collected over 3,000 cards, and the top classroom collected 5,000 cards. And we ended up with 12,584 cards. I know that because I counted them. And then we had to ship them out to Utah. (laughs) $210 later, we did ship them. PTO agreed to ship them, and thank goodness for them. But it was just a wonderful success. Everybody felt involved and excited about it, and there was pizza exchanged, and it it was really fun. So I'm on a roll, and... I go to, and I realize that I'm no longer focusing on this pity party. Things are changing for me. It could have been the book, Will. It could have been the book. I don't know. But So I go to Reverend Ken one Sunday after church, and I say, I have some ideas. And he, he goes, uh-huh. <laughs> and, I, and that, to me, signals he wants to hear them. <laughs> so I quickly rattle off these ideas which I'm going to tell you right now. Um, One is that in our centering prayer meetings on Monday evening, the office tends to feel a little drafty. And I thought, we have people who knit and crochet in in our congregation. We could whip together some really nice little prayer shawls and throw them in a basket in the corner. And if you got chilled at the meeting, you could get up and get one and fun. Um, The other was that I had gotten a communication from my undergraduate school. This really touched me. For 12 years, they have given beds to children who don't have beds. And what they do is they collect new mattresses and box springs and bed frames, and then they get donations of linens and pillows and blankets and comforters and stuffed toys and pajamas. And... Right as the weather starts to get colder, even closer to the holidays, they'll take a bed to a child who doesn't have a bed and set it up, give them a hug, and off they go. And I said, first of all, I cannot imagine being a child without a bed. I want to do this. So Ken's going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And he says, we need to talk. When Ken says, we need to talk, you go and you talk. (laughs) And I go to his office and he says, where is all this coming from? Take a deep breath, center yourself, and tell me what's happening here. 
starting with negative thoughts and then moving um, to a place of compassionate caring. How does that happen, he asks me. And I say, I knew in, you know, intellectually that helping others would pull me out of my spot of pity. But he wants to know how, how did I get here? Not so much the projects, but how did I transform my outlook? How can I share that process with others? How can I empower those to meet, that I'm helping to meet their own needs? So I walk out of Ken's office shaking my head. Darn that Ken Belden. I say, I'll have to table those beds and prayer shawls to address the bigger issue. I think he wants me to become a politician. (laughs) But I did come back from the brink of really severe despair. And I became active in an outreach. And I feel like I'm an ardent giver. And where did that come from? Enter Will, who says, remember that book I loaned you? Um, why don't we do a springboard? And I'm like, eh. I talked to Will and we're, we did the springboard. Uh, that's rule number two. Unitarian Universalists will give you books and don't talk to Will about a springboard because you'll be doing it. <laughs> He's very convincing. <laughs> so um, this is what I've learned from my springboard with Will. Can I have the first slide? Oh, thank you. There are three components to wanting what you have that Will already mentioned. This attention, gratitude, and compassion. And the way I look at them as legs of a stool. And as you know, legs of a stool have to be pretty much similar in strength and length and amount so that the stool will work. So if you're lacking in one of those areas, you're not going to have a lot of support on that stool. They have to occur simultaneously, and, um, and that's what this springboard was urging me to do. So in the next slide, I have shown here compassion and gratitude, and you'll notice attention is missing. So I can note, for example, taking my story, I can know that it feels bad to be cold in the winter. I don't like feeling cold. It makes me unhappy. Um, and I want to do something about it. And I can be grateful that I don't have to feel cold. I have coats. I have a heater in my home. I have nice blankets. And without attention to what's going on around me, that's where it could stop. So I need attention. I need attention to my community. I need attention to being present in this life, what's happening right now around me. The next slide I'm attending to what's going on. I'm so grateful that I don't have to be that person that's cold. But my compassion is missing. I don't do anything about it. My neighbors remain cold. In the third or the last slide, um, I'm attending and compassionate. But because my gratitude really isn't uh, plentiful enough and I'm not... Returning that gratitude, because with gratitude comes responsibility. Again, those coats don't get distributed. So that's just kind of an overview of of how I look at those three um, components of wanting what you have. 
by the way, I think wanting what you have is such a huge paradox. It's like I want to not want. Okay. <laughs> I have to think about that. But another way that the springboard helped me was um, while we were in springboard and springing along, I was developing a new friendship at school, a person that I admire very much. I was getting to know her, and I thought she was really attentive to her life. She was really participating. I felt that she had a lot of gratitude. Her life has not been easy by any means. But she was distributing or displaying a lot of gratitude. But what I wasn't feeling, and it seemed like a disconnect, was compassion. I didn't feel compassionate when I was with her, and I didn't feel compassion coming from her. And I wouldn't have even looked for that if I hadn't been taking the springboard. But I started to look at this relationship and to seek where is my compassion when I'm listening to her where, where is her compassion? Can we make, do we have a connection here? And by looking, I did find it. We both have uh, active and bright compassion in our lives. And together with attention and gratitude, which I feel we both have, we have this blossoming relationship. I got that from my springboard. I think I would have stepped back a little bit from from getting to know her. So... Yay, springboards work. Um, This is what I learned from my springboard. This is what I see for myself. Um, This is what I wish for you. And I wish for all who are cultivating a spiritual path. And I hope that you can experience the joy that I have found. Thanks. Thanks.